Good evening, everyone. Nice to see you here. I'm Doug Fullington. I'm the manager of audience education here at PMB. We're going to get started because there's a lot to say about these ballets tonight. It's the second repertory program of the season, and we have three just incredible names uh, in, in the world of dance, choreography, George Balanchine, Yuri Killian, and Twyla Tharp tonight. Each of these works is, has been in the repertory. None of them are new to us, but two of them we acquired just in 2013. That's the Tharp and the Killian. But for the Balanchine Stravinsky Violin Concerto, it's been 15 years since the ballet's been in the repertory. So it's, it's new to almost all of the company. And we had it restaged for us to take to New York last February, where we gave just two performances. But now it'll be in repertory for seven performances uh, this week and next. So we're excited to have that back. But I get a little bit ahead of myself, because I'd like to go uh, in the order that we'll see the ballets tonight. But as always, I want to welcome your questions. And I'll make sure I leave a little bit of time at the end, but feel free to jump in and, and ask what you would like or comment. That would be just great. So let's start with Brief Fling by Twyla Tharp. With a couple of these, it's going to be almost hard to know where to start because I've got a lot of things in my head about these ballets, and there's a lot of wonderful aspects. So Brief Fling by Tharp premiered in 1990. And it was made for American Ballet Theater. Now, this was a period of time in the 80s into the early 90s that Dwyla Tharp's company merged with American Ballet Theater at the uh, invitation of Mikhail Baryshnikov, who was the artistic director at ABT at that time. He asked Dwyla to come and join him in directing the company, and she brought her uh, dancers to ABT and, and the uh, two companies really melded. And there is a particular small sort of genre, collection of ballets that Twyla made that very clearly uh, incorporate both uh, groups of dancers, the classical uh, ballet dancers of ABT and the I, I'm not even sure what word to say, the Tharp-trained dancers. I don't want to throw out words like contemporary or modern, but really specifically Tharp-trained dancers of Twyla's own company. Um, in the Upper Room, which we have in repertory, is one of these such works where there is a distinctly uh, sort of classical group of dancers in the cast, and then the Tharp dancers. In that ballet, they're referred to as the Stompers. We have the same thing here in Brief Ling. Don't think they're called stompers. But uh, this cast of dancers, if you look on the casting insert, these different groups, we've got uh, the top two. Tonight it's Leslie Rausch and Jerome Tisserand. They wear blue, so they're the blues. Then the next two couples, Rachel Foster, Sarah Ricard Orza, James Moore, Benjamin Griffiths, they're the reds. All of these are, are ballet uh, roles, if you will. And then we have the greens. Now these would be Twyla's dancers. Lita Biasucci, Stephen Locke, Jonathan Peretta, Ezra Thompson. These are the greens. Uh, sort of akin to the stompers of In the Upper Room. And then a corps de ballet of four men and four women. Which mostly classical, I guess we'd say. Uh, Brief Fling has a Scottish theme to it in the costuming by uh, Isaac Mizrahi. There's a tartan theme that you'll see very clearly uh, in the blues and the reds and the greens. And then 
the corps de ballet as well. I don't know what to call them. They're kind of creamy, but you'll see when they get out there. A uh, lot of influences here, and we can jump really right to the score to talk about that as, as well. A fascinating score, but I think the big news tonight is that for the first time in the 26-year history of this ballet, the music will be performed live tonight by our orchestra. Until now, the music has been performed to a recording that was made for the premiere of the ballet in 1990. It was a studio recording that was made in Los Angeles, uh, in California. And uh, until now, that recording has been used. And it was a beautifully played recording, but the engineering of the recording has um, suffered over time so that the quality of the recording itself has not held up. So last time we performed the ballet, which was actually the first time in 2013, there was a lot of talk about wouldn't it be great if we could get hold of the score and the parts and uh, perform the music live. And it's a very interesting score. It's put together by Michel Colombier, uh, who took existing works by uh, Percy Granger, who was very uh, involved in folk music in the first part of the 20th century and wrote what I think are just brilliant and unique, fascinating works. And he uh, interspersed those works within his own much more contemporary composition, which utilizes not only the orchestra, but electric guitar, uh, electronic uh, music that would be played by a synthesizer and other instruments. And that's something that's... Uh, much easier, I think, to, to uh, do in the recording studio than to do live, but somehow our orchestra has found a way to do that. And we have Emile Deku, our music director and conductor, to thank for this because he uh, searched for the music and was able to contact uh, the composer's wife, Dana Colombier, who is here tonight in the audience with her two daughters, Arabella and Sienna. And she had the scores. Uh, along with the rest of her husband's music in her home. And Emile flew down to L.A. to meet her and discuss the possibility of this with her and was able to bring the scores and the parts back. Uh, beautifully written out. Rehearsal started this past Monday, and you're going to hear it tonight for the first time. So pretty exciting uh, for us to be able to uh, dance this work to live music. So... That's, that's a great story in and of itself. Um, the eclecticism of the music is reflected in the dance as well, as is often, I find, uh, the case with Tharp. The, uh, the movement influences, the dance influences are vast, from classical ballet all the way to just Tharp's own brand of, of movement. Uh, which you'll see particularly with the Greens. And watch Lita Biasucci, who will lead that group of four tonight. This role was originated by Shelley Washington. Uh, Shelley has been our Tharp stager for a number of works. Not for this one. This time we have Matt Dibble, who's just terrific. But Shelley has been with us a number of times and is a great Tharp representative. And all of the energy and... Uh, just sort of incredible movement quality that she had went into these roles that Twyla made for her, and you'll see Lita in that tonight. Beyond that, I think this is a work you just have to experience. It's a little bit all over the map. 
uh, if you think of m merging two dance companies that were very, very different and uh, considering what a work made for that entire troupe might look like, this is what it is. And you'll see that in the movement and you'll hear that in the music as well. So just a, a really uh, just an energetic and upbeat and fun uh, opening to this evening. And we're happy to have Briefling back in the repertory and particularly with the contribution of the orchestra. So I'm going to leave it at that. And then we have our first intermission and we come back with Yuri Killian's Forgotten Land. Now, Killian is a major choreographer who spent his career with Netherlands Dance Theater, creating many, many works for them. And his work became known in the late 70s here in the U.S. when that troupe toured to New York. One of the dancers at that time was a dancer named Rosalind Anderson, who went on to become a uh, personal assistant to Yuri Killian and then the primary stager and teacher of his works and a great ambassador for his work. And uh, Roz is with us tonight. She's been with us for the past two weeks. And in fact, she has taught us all three of the Killian works that are in our repertory, Petite Moore and uh, Zextensa, Six Dances, and then Forgotten Land, which we acquired three years ago in 2013. Each of these works is so different. Uh, Petite Moore is very uh, sensual and chic, if you will, in its quality and its duets, and the use of the prop foils that the men use at the beginning of the ballet. Uh, Six Dances is comedic and crazy and uh, fun, and uh, Forgotten Land is, is a much more somber and serious work. And the more I hear Roz talk about it, and the more I read about the music and about the dance, there are a number of layers here, and I think they're worth sharing, but always keeping in mind something that Roz told us last night. She was here for our dress rehearsal lecture series, and she said, you know, just watch the piece and come to it as you are and take from it what you will, which I think is a great uh, uh, instruction for watching any kind of dance. That said, I think it's fascinating to know about the music and the dance and some of the intentions and perhaps meanings, if you will. And I'm going to read a little bit to you, which I don't usually do, but there are a couple wonderful paragraphs that Killian himself wrote. And actually, Noelani Pantastico posted these on her Facebook uh, wall this morning. Um, and she got these, I believe, from the Killian website. But it's a wonderful uh, uh, commentary on this piece. So Killian writes, Forgotten Land is a work made in the idiom of a musical choreography, meaning that all of the choreography derives directly from the music. The musical score itself was commissioned by the Nationalist Government of Japan in 1939. Benjamin Britten received a commission to write a score which would be used as a part of the celebrations commemorating the 2600th anniversary of Japan's existence. Britain accepted the commission and wrote a work entitled Sinfonia da Requiem. But the fact that he used Latin Christian liturgical text as an underlying theme led to the refusal of his composition by the government of Japan. 
The Sinfonia da Requiem is divided into three parts, Lacrimosa, or Weeping, Dies Irae, or God's Wrath, and Requiem Eternam, Eternal Rest. So Weeping, Wrath, and Rest. The piece, therefore, ended up being dedicated to the memory of Britain's parents. Britain was born in East Anglia, and it was a part of England always threatened by the sea. And I've taken the idea of the everlasting presence of the ocean as a life-giving and a life-taking force as a main theme for my choreography. Another very important source of inspiration for me was the famous painting by Edvard Munch, Dance of Life, from 1899, in which a woman in three stages of her life is very clearly present. In close collaboration with the painter John McFarlane, the design for stage and costumes emerged, taking into account all these influences. So that's a lot. One, there's the piece by Britain, which was a commission from the Japanese government, and apparently it was not disclosed to him who uh, the commission was from. So he went ahead and wrote this work, which was rejected at the time because of its... uh, the uh, religious undertone to it. The Requiem, of course, is the Mass for the Dead, and he took the titles of the sections from that. So the piece uh, ended up being premiered at Carnegie Hall in New York in 41, and then it did have a Japanese premiere, but not until 1958. But it is the piece that led to the commission uh, of the opera Peter Grimes, which is one of Britain's uh, uh, best-known works. So it was very influential in that, in his output. So he ended up dedicating the piece to his parents and uh, envisioning the coast of East Anglia and the force of the ocean, and Killian has used that, and we see that in the scenic design by McFarlane. It's very beautiful, um, and you sort of really have to look at it to see what it is, but the rolling waves and almost a sandy quality, if you will. And then we layer over that this, uh, the idea of the Munch painting, uh, which shows a woman in different stages of her life. So you see, it looks like several women, but apparently they're all one. And the way he has cast this ballet, I think is related to that. We have six couples. Uh, we have a couple in black and a couple in gray, a couple in red and a couple in pink, a couple in white and a couple in cream. And there is no overt story or narrative here, but Rosalind Anderson had some great thoughts about this, and she danced uh, the woman in white. The ballet was made for Stuttgart Ballet in 81, and then Just months later, it had its premiere at Netherlands Dance Theater, and Roz was cast as the woman in white. And her idea is this. The couple in black is the mature couple. They've been through it all. Good times, bad times, and they've stuck it out. And uh, we see that, she feels, in the dancing. The gray couple, then, is related to the black couple. She feels that they have elements of the black couple in them, almost as if they're a commentary. The red couple is in the thick of it. They're the fiery, tempestuous, dramatic couple, still working through things, she says. And the pink couple 
have elements of that red couple. Then the white couple is the younger, more naive couple in the uh, throes of new love, if you will. There's a purity there. And the cream couple, likewise, have elements of the white. Now, this is Roz's overlay. Uh, and she's quick to remind, remind us all to just watch the ballet. But I loved hearing that because it helped uh, give some explanation to the, to the potential significance of that monk painting, which you can look up. Again, it's called uh, Dance of Life, and that's from 1899. Next time this ballet comes around, I will try to include these Killian notes. I do want to say, though, that each of these choreographers has a great website now. Uh, Balanchine.org or Balanchine.com, both are great websites for Balanchine. Tharp has a, a very new website with wonderful information on her work. And likewise, uh, the Killian Foundation has set up a wonderful site, too. So we're able to go to these sites and find uh, commentary and information on the works of these great choreographers. The other thing I wanted to share was Roz's ideas on the choreography itself. I said, are you able to, can we characterize the work of Yuri Killian in the context of the, the broader dance world and what's being danced? It's kind of an unfair question and he's still working and we probably need more years to go by before these things get somewhat codified, if you will, says the academic minded person. But Roz's one word was organic. She feels the movement is organic. There are, she said, no seams. We don't see the seams from one movement to the next. One, flows, one movement flows directly from the other in a sort of causal relationship, if you will. Because this movement occurs here, the next one must come here, and so forth. And I think that that creates a, a lot of pleasure for the dancers in performing the movement and in learning the movement. Uh, there can still be challenges in movement like this, but there's a, a physical logic to it. And we might think that's that way for all kind of dance, but I don't think it's the case. Different choreographers will have different ways of putting steps together. But I think this idea of organic movement uh, is a wonderful way to think of this work in particular with its relationship to nature and the ocean and the inevitability of it and uh, the, the thoughts of life and death that Killian had with regard to that, and uh, life, death, and love that comes in between. That's what Roz says. So uh, I appreciated her comments and wanted to share them with you. The dancers love this piece. They love working with Roz and learning about Killian's uh, uh, intentions and the style, and I think it's going to be really evident tonight on stage with Forgotten Land. Second intermission then, and we come to Stravinsky Violin Concerto. Oh, yes, please. Could you say something about the fact there's a different conductor for Forgotten Land? I can, yes. Alistair Willis is joining us as a guest conductor, as he often does. He'll be back for Nutcracker as well. Uh, he shares the load with Emile Decou. Uh, Alan Dameron is... Uh, at the piano for Brief Fling. It is a very significant uh, uh, piano component for Brief Fling that Alan is focusing on this time out. And then all three of them will share the podium for 
uh, Nutcracker. And Alan Damron will do double duty because he also plays keyboard for Nutcracker, the Celesta. So Alistair is, uh, you can read about Alistair in the Encore program. He's a familiar face to us and to the orchestra. He will also be uh, conducting a few of uh, Stravinsky Violin Concerto as well. And Michael uh, Jinsu Lim, our concertmaster, will be the soloist for the Stravinsky for each of the performances. And as I mentioned, the Stravinsky's been out of the repertory for 15 years. Uh, that said, it is a favorite piece, I think, of the dancers, and it's a, it's a, it's a fun piece and also an eclectic piece. I talked about Tharp being eclectic. This piece has eclecticism between the different movements of the concerto. I believe the concerto was composed in 1931. It's a period I love uh, for Stravinsky, the 20s and 30s. There's uh, a lot of uh, wonderful rhythmic things going on and a wonderful dance quality to the music and some jazz elements, uh, which are all things that Stravinsky uh, took from, from the time. He was a great chameleon, just like Balanchine was as a choreographer. A Stravinsky Violin Concerto has a great history because it was made to be part of the Stravinsky Festival at New York City Ballet, which was given in 1972. And in the dance world, it really is an historic event. It was an eight-day festival in which New York City Ballet uh, honored Stravinsky, who had just recently died. They danced more than 30 ballets in eight days. And I think, if I'm correct, Balanchine made 13 ballets for this festival. It's just unheard of. I don't think anyone does this anymore. Just knocks out 30 ballets in a week. They shut down the New York State Theater for a week, which is very expensive in order to rehearse all of this. And a number of uh, ballets considered masterworks by Balanchine came out of this festival. Stravinsky Violin Concerto, Symphony in Three Movements, Duo Concertante, and of course all of the other Stravinsky ballets that Balanchine made from Apollo from 1928 onward were included in this festival. This is one of the what we call black and white ballets that the dancers wear uh, what look like rehearsal clothes. The women are in black leotards. They are in uh, black sheer tights with a stirrup on the bottom of them that goes over the point shoe. So that's the, uh, the unique feature for these uh, costumes. And the men are in the black tights and the uh, white uh, leotard up above. We've got uh, two main couples here, and they dance the central movements, which Stravinsky called aria number one and aria number two. Aria one has a very sort of a stringent feel to the music, and Balanchine responded with a, a pas de deux, a duet that has some severity to it and some acrobatic feel to it. If you remember Prodigal Son and the pas de deux of the sun and the siren, uh, which had just really innovative and almost acrobatic movements to it. There is a quality of that here. Prodigal Son was 1929, this is 1972, but it, there is a relationship between the movement that I see. Aria 2 for the second couple is a softer pas de deux that has a, a more of a romantic element, if you will. 
Uh, tonight you'll be seeing Leslie Rausch with Jerome Tisserand in that first pas de deux, and you'll see the photo on the cover of Encore has that angular quality. You can see the fingers are opened and splayed, and the elbows are out, and he's reaching through her arms with his hands, and so we get these um, interesting sort of... Uh, uh, pictures and poses of the two people interlocked, if you will. And then Noelani Pantastico and Seth Orza will dance Aria 2. And then we have a corps de ballet of eight women and eight men who are uh, featured in the opening movement, the Toccata, and the final movement, the Capriccio. And these are just, uh, I think these are terrifically constructed movements. The first movement each solo dancer of the four is featured and always flanked by four dancers at the corps de ballet. But sometimes it's a man with four women and the other man with four men and or the women with four men or another woman with four women and always a different configuration. But that's how Balanchine has structured this opening movement. Then we move through the duets and then we come to the final movement, which is... Uh, has a lot of folk inflection in the music, and Balanchine has really picked up on this in the choreography, adding a lot of what we would call character elements uh, uh, derived from folk dance and Balanchine's own imagination. He loved the Russian Tea Room in New York, if you know where that is. It's right by City Center in the 50s there in Midtown. And uh, I know there are some steps and movements for the corps de ballet, which uh, Balanchine referred to uh, in explaining them, referring to the waiters at the Russian Tea Room, and these different movements will have different names, and take a great amount of coordination for the corps de ballet. So uh, again, a very eclectic work from the astringency of that aria one to the folk dance qualities of the capriccio at the end of the ballet, and a, an incredible tour de force for the violinist as well. And I have to say, uh, Mike Lim really tears it up. Uh, in this piece. It's a, as great an evening for the orchestra tonight as it is for the dancers. Uh, really just uh, incredible music and uh, wonderful dance to go with it by these choreographers. So I'm going to stop there because I've used almost all the time. But I'd love to answer any questions that I could. And also want to say that after the performance, Leslie Rausch will be here with Peter Bowl, And Leslie's dancing in Brie Fling and Stravinsky Violin Concerto. She also performs in Forgotten Land, but she'll do that tomorrow. And so she'll be able to uh, uh, field questions about all three of the pieces. So do come down for that. Yes, sir. That's a good question. Did, did Emil have to redo any of the parts? What they found is that some of the parts, what was written down, did not reflect what was recorded. But we need to reflect what was recorded because that's what Twyla choreographed to. So I know there's, there's an electric guitar solo. We have a great electric guitarist for this. But what was written down is not what was recorded. So he had to work with the recording and uh, 
learn what was uh, played and then replicate that. Likewise, the percussionists had to do the same thing. But I believe the individual instrumentalists have taken that on themselves to do, which would be the fastest for them, uh, working in their own idiom and with their instrument. So that was the work that was done between Monday and now, or last night, to make sure that uh, the orchestra is producing the sounds that match what was done on the recording in the in the uh, passages where there were differences and discrepancies. So yeah, it's just the sleuthing goes on to the very end. But I think the challenge has been fun. So uh, you'll hear the you'll hear the result tonight. It'd be nice to hear the recording and then hear the live version too and yeah. spot the differences and things like that. Anybody else? Yes, please. It's true, Jessica Lang dance, and Jessica Lang uh, choreographed the calling, the solo piece with the huge dress. And she's also made a beautiful piece for us that will uh, give its Seattle premiere uh, this spring. But her troupe is performing at Meany, and you were just uh, pointing that out, and that's next weekend, and the calling is on that program. And I, that will be great. I know that uh, some of our gang will be attending as they can, even though we're in performance as well. So thanks for that. Anybody else with a question? Well, no, well, that's just about perfect because it is 7.01, and it's time for me to let you go. I'm so glad you're here tonight. I think we're in for a, a great night. It's a little bit historic for the Tharp Repertory. And do uh, feel welcome to come back and talk to Leslie and Peter Bull afterwards. So thanks very much for supporting the ballet and enjoy your evening.